0: You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Well, good morning. It's great to be here, and um, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers. Got a very um, timely Father's Day message for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 on sexual immorality. Praise God. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Um, here at City Lights. um, We've made the choice, generally speaking, in less... Um, there would be a something that the, the Spirit would draw a particular emphasis to is to emphasis to is to preach through books of the Bible. And we're continuing the series in 1 Corinthians on grace putting the pieces back together. So we'll read together in 1 Corinthians 6, and then uh, Pastor Jesse did not know this, we didn't plan this, um, but his little exhortation about slaves unto righteousness um, is pretty much the key passage that I want to go to after 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That'll be in Romans 6. Let's read together in, uh, starting in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But sexual immorality, a person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, open um, your word to us that we can see Christ exalted. Let us capture a fresh picture Of who you are this morning and transform us from your glory. Christ's name, amen. So, this is really interesting. Right now, our world is full of so many different debates um, taking place, particularly over the gender debate. You see, the issue of target, unfortunately, we reflect so carefully with what just took place in Orlando, and I'm not really even quite sure how to frame this because of how sensitive the subject is. You know, when you look at the scripture, I'll, let me start off by saying this, it's, it's one thing if we just view this Bible as, you know, some kind of text that just throws out another opinion and we kind of take it or leave it according to what we like, you know, but that's not exactly what we claim as Christians as Christians we 're claiming that this two thousand year old book, actually a lot of it's even older than that, has real bearing on our lives today. it's actually something that Jesus himself would tell us. so I don 't know about you, but when I read that text, I think it's it's rather archaic, truthfully it's something that kind of feels a little bit removed in a world that's incredibly sexualized i, I I don't know of anything less culturally relevant than to say that Jesus wants to identify your sexuality. In fact, that's kind of the, the one thing for many of us that that's like the one-off limit, off-the-table subject, and no one's making eye contact with me today, and that's totally okay. <laughs> that's like the one thing that we really don't want to let God in on, and this is a... Kind of framed in a different way than I think you you may tend to hear it. Notice that Paul opens up by saying all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. This Paul is writing this as a man that's completely free, not somebody that's living under condemnation. He's writing this actually in a way that makes me incredibly nervous by saying that everything is permissible. Now. I'm not sure how to skip this point across other than Paul is essentially saying to start here that if you want to live in a nudist colony, go ahead. But, okay, you didn't catch that. He, he's literally saying like that, that all things are permissible. Like he Notice that he's framing this in a way which is, would make the most liberal person shy away. I know that sounds odd and I'm not condoning that, but Paul then begins to come at this from a different angle because most of us, if we're not careful, we view religion in the way that it would address sexuality as a do not touch, do not handle this law of modesty. You know, like what, what do we do? What is right? What is wrong? Where is the line? You know, what is the line when when, when we're single? Where is the line when we're married? Where is the line when we're unmarried? What is the line? And Paul doesn't even frame sexuality in the context of lines, of what's good and what's bad. Now, he goes on to begin to frame it, but it's not from this line-oriented religious thinking. He begins to say this, that if you are in Christ, you are a member of his very body. And don't from that position join yourself to some sort of prostitute, because in doing so you become one with the flesh. Then he goes on to say this an exhortation, flee from sexual immorality, but why? Why, why, why? Because you've been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Let me say this. As Christians, our job, our primary job in the world is not to offer a sexual ethic, it is to offer forgiveness. Our primary job as Christians is not to uh, provide the world with good morals. That may make you nervous because that's kind of our typical way we view what the church is to do is to be shouting out some, this is the moral thing. Now, as Christians, we have morals, we have ethics, but that's not who Paul is not writing this to the world. Anyone realize that? He is writing this to a church, to people that have been redeemed he is not writing to the world so that we go out and try to fight over these things and I know this could be wildly unpopular for some of us that may have some conservative roots that that hold on to that really want me to rail against a certain group of people that have a sexual proclivity or something I'm sorry Jesus didn't do it and I won't either it just well three of us like that amen that's good but the Bible comes at this totally different way than we would tend to think of it. Like, we would think, you know, because we, we tend to view God, really, as a scorekeeper, as a bookkeeper, as kind of the judge. And while God is most certainly holy and righteous and just, let me say this, sin is too serious for God to handle it seriously. Sin is too serious for God to handle it seriously. Let, let me explain it like this. We... We view sin as a separation between thought and deed, and that's just not a biblical separation. So, like, well, I didn't really do it, so it's not bad. Well, Jesus just destroys that whole concept, and he says this, that if you look at, you know, a woman, or if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Like, come on, guys. Like... Like that's, he's just, he destroys the thought action thing. And he says that sin is not just an action. It's the very motivation of your heart. Then he goes on into anger. And he's like, if you have been angry with somebody, you've already committed murder. So like the whole idea, which this is just wild because there's a kind of this, this branch in, in the church today that is like wanting to condemn every person because of the action. Although if we would just take a little bit of a look inside and see the motivation of our heart, we're breaking the same law. So sin is too seriously. So God treats it unseriously. Now what, what do I mean by that? It's a play on words intentionally. It's not that God just goes, ah, oh, who cares, no, whatever. God cares so much that he sends his own son in the likeness of human flesh and then takes on all of humanity's sin in himself and dies in our place. It's so seriously that God doesn't handle us seriously. Like, I don't know if any of this is coming across, but like, if, if God really wanted to punish humanity, he would have wiped us all out a long time ago. He just would have. So the the scripture is, I love this though. In Acts chapter 17, it says this, that God has fixed a day to judge the world by a man named Jesus. I love that it says God fixed a day. If you have more than one day of judgment, more than one day of judgment in your theology, then you're off. If you've got one day, if you've got two days of judgment where God is judging the world on more than one day, you're off. God has chosen to judge the world on one day when Christ returns. So up until that time, God is not walking around, you know, with this judgment can and looking at people. And I know we want to think that, you know, sometimes we just want God to justify our own opinions. Like, if we don't like a, a group of people, we just like, well, okay, I'll find a scripture to justify that. If you have more than one day of judgment, and I'll step on somebody's toes Cover them up real quick. If you've got seven years of judgment, three and a half years of judgment, I don't care what years of judgment you have, he has fixed a day to judge the world by amen. So God doesn't come to us or co- come to the world with this law of saying, this is sexuality, take it. And we're like, hold on, what? And if I don't, I'm condemned. No, the reality is we are condemned already. It doesn't matter about your sexual ethics, your morals, your morality. It doesn't let me just get that off the table. It doesn't matter. You are condemned. Period. Like the law is too hard, too high, too heavy. Like I, I just feel sometimes your self awareness is um, is a blessing and a curse. It really is. And and reality TV thrives on the premise that people are not self aware. Right. That's why American Idol was so fun to watch. No one cared that they could sing good. We wanted to watch the people who couldn't sing good. Or we wanted to watch the people in the room watching it that couldn't tell they couldn't sing good. That was even better. So, like, self-awareness is this blessing and a curse because, sure, you know, it's great to realize your zipper is down. And you go, you know, get that together. It's great to realize that your buttons are one-off. Like, self-awareness in one sense is a great thing, but as humans, generally, we operate with such a broken, twisted perspective of ourselves that we are primarily right and other people are wrong. You know, like, I'm saying this about myself, not you. Like, I'm saying also about you, but first myself. Like, this is our operating mode of conduct. Like, even right now, you're upset that I'm saying things and you're trying to figure out how I'm wrong and I don't care because I think I'm right. So we, 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 we tend to, and I, I mean, I've said this before, but it's kind of like driving. You know, um, somebody cuts you off and you, and you give them a particular finger. I don't know which one you choose. You, you, you cut somebody else off and you give them a wave. Like, I'm so sorry. Because... They're a dumb driver. They're an idiot. You made a mistake. Right? Your kid bites someone else's face, latches on, and, and tears away flesh. Bad day. Someone else's kid does it demon-possessed. You understand what I'm saying? You kind of catch the thing. So, so we, we generally operate from this angle of that we are right. And, and this is what Proverbs says. There's a way that seems right unto man And in the end, it leads to death. So let me just say this. Jesus is not talking about lines here. If if it's about lines, we're shot. We're done. It's over. That's not the point of this. So if we walk away from a text like this, and we think then it's our job to pull out a judgment cannon and walk around and telling people that, you know, you're wrong. That's not the point. It's something so much deeper than that. He goes on and closes with this text that says, 19 and 20, do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? You've been bought with a price. So the question here of sexuality is who do we belong to? How do we frame our epistemology? How, how do we gain and gather knowledge about the world and of ourselves? Where is our, what is our worldview shaped by? And as Christians, God calls us to shape our worldview by the work of Christ, that we're rooted in him. Now, turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 6 and um, see if we can unpack this a little bit better. Romans chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 15, just for the sake of time, I'd encourage you to read this whole this whole thing, um, perhaps in your Bible the title of it should say something along the lines of dead to sin, alive to God in Romans chapter 6, which is just a—this is one of the most powerful texts as Christians um, that encapsulates what it means to live a life in Christ. Because Christianity is not an upgraded form of religion. Christianity is not a better version of ethics. Christianity is not just the right religion. Now, I'm not saying those aren't true, but that's not the operating premise that God gives us as believers— So I'll say like this, the gospel, the word gospel is not advice, it's news. The gospel is an announcement of a victory that is 100% completely detached from who you are. Um, It would literally be as if um, we got news from a distant land that a king has conquered another country. Now we don't care about that. We might if the next president gets in. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have went there. It was funny, though. Um, <laughs> all right, that wasn't right. Try over. Okay. So the, the news, though, the gospel is news. It is simply news. It's not advice. The gospel is not advice that you apply to your life. You can't apply the gospel to your life in that sense. You can only respond. You can only respond to news. You can either believe news or you can reject news. But you can't apply it to your life in a way where I've got to do something to make it true. No, it's news. I get the news, I turn on the screen, and that's what it is. Now, how I respond to that is internal. So Paul begins to talk about this response to news in Romans chapter 6. And he says this, um, starting in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Now, this is is wild. Let me just stop there for a second. If your view of the gospel is not so scandalous that you would actually think that God would let you do whatever you want, then you haven't understood the vastness of grace. If you don't—and here's the crazy thing. There's so many Christians that don't even have to ask this question. Because they're so bound by fear, they're not not even in a relationship, they've not even experienced a relationship with God. Truthfully, they're so fearful that they never even asked to ask this question. So Paul goes, are we, because we're so free in this grace of God, are we just supposed to go do whatever we want? Now, religion would come in right there with the big no way. Why? Because if you do this, you're going to go to hell. Let me kind of just throw something out there. This is wild. Did you know that hell is never used by the Apostle Paul? The word hell is never used by the Apostle Paul in any of his epistles. That doesn't mean, I'm not telling that it's not real. I just want to show that the framework that they're operating from is not turn or burn. Uh, makes for a, a pretty terrible church sign, but that's not his premise. Because religion right here in its, in its strictest sense or the legalistic version would come in and say, are we supposed to sin? Why? Absolutely not, or you'll be judged. And Paul doesn't do that. It's kind of wild. Paul totally, totally, totally comes at this from a different angle. He, he, his next verse, he leads in, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now watch this. God is not coming to humanity with this judgment canon. He's saying judgment has already taken place in Christ. So now I'm completely free. But what do I do? How do I respond? He goes on and says this. But, verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become, this is the key, this is the most key phrase, obedient, From the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This is a Christian sexual ethic. This is a Christian sexual morality. It has nothing to do with coming in outside saying, If you do this, you'll die, you'll be punished, you'll be burned. The reality is, we've already established that, and the passage that was preached last week, 1 Corinthians 6, that if you do those things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's already established. You can only come through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only way in. But then he goes on and says this, that the Christianity approaches this from the obedience of the heart. So, what does that mean? In the gospel, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That in the news, in this little phrase that I'm about to say, it's not a formula, it's not a magic formula, it's a news. In this phrase right here, like, Jesus Christ became a human, died in your place, and was resurrected and now sits at the right hand of God. Now, if you want me to throw in the virgin birth and everything, I'm happy to do that as well. But if you just throw... That little phrase, that Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago and lived a holy, perfect, spotless, righteous life that you could never live, died on behalf of your sins, was resurrected By God the Father, and now gives his righteousness to you. That little story right there, like that, I know this sounds so crazy. That story has the ability to change everything about your life because it's not just empty words, it is full of the power of God. If you believe that phrase and don't add anything to it, But just the simple phrase that God becomes sin on your behalf. Christ becomes sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you believe that phrase, the scripture tells us that God puts within us a new heart. And that new heart leads unto a righteousness. Like, I don't, let me say this. You know, this is so crazy. If the only reason you're not cheating on your spouse is because you're married, that's a super huge issue. Surprise. But for some reason, this is how Christians unfortunately view sin as believers. Like, I'm not going to commit a sin because I'm so scared that of, of God you know, is going to whatever. Judge me, divorce me, cut me off. Like, if, if the law is the only thing keeping you from not doing it, I'm sorry, you've already done it in your heart. Amen. OK, sorry. That's always a good Father's Day message, isn't it? Amen. That little phrase, that, that story of Jesus Christ. How many people can, can testify to this, though, that as you believe, your heart changes. Christianity is not upgraded in an ethic. It's not, it's not about moralism. It's not about anything like that. It is about believing news, and that news alone changes everything. That news alone. And I, when I place my trust, my hope in that, and listen, that doesn't mean it's a magic process here. It's not like one day I'm in and I everything works. But how many people know the Holy Spirit comes in you, but it's not this conviction of, you're dumb, you're an idiot, you're stupid, get your act together. That's not, that's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, that you might hear a pastor talk in a way that can promote guilt or something, and you're like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit convicts unto righteousness. Unto righteousness. So that when I screw up, let me say it like this. I had a friend recently, I'm going to just make it practical because that's the hip thing to do, I'm kidding, Okay. All right, so I had a friend recently come to me, and he goes, Jared, i got to confess this uh, thing to you. And I'm like, okay, what, what's going on? And man, I could just tell he's living under this weight. And he goes, I'm addicted to pornography, you know, and I'm like, or I'm struggling with pornography. And I was like, um, I'm like, I'm so thankful you shared that with me. I said, let me say a couple things. Number one, I have no desire to be your accountability partner. <laughs> I was like, why? Because that doesn't work. Number two, because um, what happens, watch this. This is the way, if we're not careful, although we're free and saved by grace, we introduce the law to try to be sanctified then to be conformed to the image of Christ. It doesn't work. So, and you can, if it's, I'm just using, because we're on sexual morality, watch this. So, say a person comes and they're like, I'm addicted to pornography. It's an unhealthy, and listen, it's not just unhealthy from a Christian standpoint. Y- that's unhealthy just from a human standpoint, in case you were wondering. Like, whether you're Christian or not, that's bad for your brain. Okay, to be addicted to anything is not helpful. Um, So I said, I don't want to be your accountability partner because why? This is often what we do. So I try to get rid of one sin, lust, by introducing fear. You see that? So I don't want to deal with the heart issue. I just want to be so scared of the person I have to call when I screw up that I won't sin this way. So what do I do? I bury the issue and never address the issue of the heart. So you, it's like the same thing like if, you, if you've got a problem with anger. Like I just have these, uh, these outbursts of anger. So I put up a thing on my refrigerator that says, you know, whatever. Don't blow your top or whatever. Something like that. You, know, you just get so angry that I'm finally going to conquer it and I'm going to put it up on the refrigerator. Well, you've never dealt with the issue if you still need the thing on the refrigerator. Anybody tracking with me? Like, if you need something outside of you, then you've never changed. (laughs) Like, you're the same person. You're just, like, looking—you've replaced one sin with the sin of others. So I've replaced anger with pride because I don't want to be perceived as somebody that blows my top because I realize I'm—then come across as a jerk and an idiot and I lose my promotions at work and people think less of me. So rather than dealing with anger, I'll just introduce pride. And we're constantly juggling this law game of what law can I introduce. And the Bible comes at this from such a phenomenally freeing way. It comes in by telling us that we are already redeemed in Christ. That as Christians, if you have placed your trust and hope in Jesus, you are free. And now the issue, watch this, this gets even better. I know you're maybe not as excited as I am, but I'm really excited about this. All right, that's good. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, I become a slave of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Then here's a beautiful thing. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Hold on, what? Do you see that? Do you, do you see how crazy this is? When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. There's no other news like this on the planet. Every other religion says, I obey, therefore am I, I'm accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. There's no other news like this in the whole world. When you were in sin. So like, it's not the idea of I'm going to clean myself up, become a better person, and then I'll be acceptable before God. Listen, you couldn't do that if you wanted to. You just can't. When, that's, that's crazy, when you were slaves of sin. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Then he goes on. Verse 21, here's the biggest, this is, this is it. This is what the scripture addresses. Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's a good Bible word for becoming more like Jesus. And its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Watch what Paul does here. He doesn't come with a new law. He doesn't come with what type of clothes should we wear or not wear. Although, listen, there's, you, know, you don't want to be running around in a G-string on Sunday morning at church. Praise God. All right. Men and women alike are included in that. That was not a judgment. We don't want to be doing that, of course. Why? Well, it's kind of silly. That's, it's unfruitful. Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at the time? Watch, watch, this is, this is so crazy. I hope you catch the beauty of the gospel here in just this moment. That what happens is God comes to the world in his son and slaps a big old stamp of forgiveness. Whoosh, forgiven, free, set free. He just comes in and goes, free. Just like he does to the woman that's caught in the midst of adultery, breaking every sexual, ethic, moral rule that every right-wing fundamentalist Christian would be upset with. Would have probably been stoning her, truthfully, if we're honest enough. And Jesus comes smack dab in the middle of sin. Not like once she got up and she's like, okay, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent. Like that's the, no, forgiveness is, is right there. And he picks her up off the ground and says, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is the picture of what Christian sexual ethics look like. Christian morality looks like. It's that Jesus comes to us in the middle of our dysfunctional, perverted sexuality that's so broken. And I'm not just talking about one lifestyle or another because listen, you can be a dude that's in love with a woman and still have a dysfunctional sexual ethic. That would have been a decent time for an amen. So what does he do? He comes, and now it becomes, as Christians, as Christians, does not become an issue of righteousness. Our righteousness, our standing before God, is completely fixed in Jesus Christ. We are justified by grace alone through faith alone. Now it becomes this, an issue of fruit, one that leads to life, and one that leads to death. One that leads to life and one that leads to death. Now, I'm not going to try to scare you with death. I think it's scary enough. If you turn back to Roman, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to close here. It's already 1.35. You're clearly not listening because that was just a total lie. That's okay. Right before this command to flee sexual immorality, right before that, notice verses 9 and eleven, I believe Kevin spoke on this last week or touched on this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor the idolater nor the adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul does not come in to try to do a turn or burn move on the Corinthians. That, just, that doesn't change anything. Have you ever tried to change something out of, out of law and not love? Anything. A relationship with a person that you realized, if I don't change this about me, they're not going to love and accept me, and you realize after a little bit down the road, you never really changed. You're just kind of faking it, and hopefully they didn't realize it. I'm the only one that's ever done that. Praise God. That's, I feel really comfortable here right now. Thank you, everyone. Let's just bare my whole soul here in a minute. When anytime we try to live up to the law, any law, God's law, which is holy, righteous, perfect, spotless, which kills all, or just the law of human approval, you know, the, the, the law that doesn't say, you know, "Do not kill," doesn't say... You know, do not take the Lord's name in vain. it just says, "Thou shalt be beautiful at all times." I mean, does you don't have to lift your hand or anything, but we live up to that. Thou shalt always be perceived as having the right answer. Anyone know what that law looks like in your life? Thou shalt be accepted at all times by everyone. Thou shalt never be rejected. Like these are all laws that are not Bible laws, but they're cultural laws that you and I try to live up to every day. And the gospel comes in with this totally different angle. And he doesn't try to give us a standard to live up to. He gives us something to pursue in love. And that's the kingdom of God. It's a vision of a better world, a better reality, which will ultimately come when Christ returns. But in this time, right now, the kingdom is breaking in and God offers you and I not to change out of law, but out of love. One of the first Anglican uh, ministers said it like this, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. I love that. What the heart loves, if you're not writing something down or you just need an excuse to look at your phone for a minute, just pretend you're writing this down. What your heart loves, your will chooses, your mind justifies. The law comes at that backwards. What the mind loves, the will chooses, and the heart justifies, and no one actually lives like that. Problem with the law, the problem with the sexual ethic that's trying to argue about bathrooms, I'm just being honest, We're trying to instill a morality that people don't have because this can only come from a new birth in the Holy Spirit. Why on earth would I expect people that are not Christians to live like Jesus? And why would I be offended when they don't do things the way I rarely do them myself? Praise God. Why on earth? What the heart loves. The will chooses, the mind justifies. Would you stand with me this morning? I love talking about the grace of God, in case you were wondering. I get a little bubbly and sometimes a little sporadic and scattered because it's just such good news. Today, um, all of us come in here trying to live up to one law or another. I don't know what it is. And maybe you're condemned. Maybe you feel—actually, I don't say maybe you're condemned. I guarantee you're condemned. I didn't have to, maybe. You come into a place like a church and the moment you, we start talking about sexual ethics and morality, it's like, you know, don't make eye contact. I get it. I was making eye contact with you today. Some of you are nervous now. There's the law. No, I'm kidding. What, what comes, though, is this. What the heart loves The will chooses and the mind justifies. The reality is not, are you condemned because of your sin? No, you're already condemned because of your sin. Surprise. But there's news that if believed, and I'm not talking about working up a a Peter Pan fairy tale belief. I'm talking about in the midst of your doubt, if you believe. If you believe that, I promise you that that seed of grace will begin to bear fruit in your life that leaves no room for unrighteousness. And it may take a year. It may take 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. But ultimately, it's he who works in us to will and do of his good pleasure. I was reading something recently on sanctification. Does anybody get frustrated as a Christian because you're just like, I'm not growing fast enough? Amen. Amen. That was me with two hands, in case you are wondering. I read this thing, somebody was saying that sanctification can best be understood in this line. I used to want to kill everybody in traffic, now I only want to kill a few people. (laughs) How many people know that's a work of the Lord to not want to kill everyone, but only a few people? I know that sounds ridiculous. That was a great Lutheran theologian that wrote that. But I say this because what we want is really grace. What we really want is the acceptance of God in spite of our actions. But what we've been fed for so long is like, here's a new law. Oh, and it'll work for a week, two weeks, three weeks, but sooner or later you're going to screw up, you're going to mess up, and then what really changes the heart? And it's the grace of God. Ben, would you come just for a minute as we pray together? Oh my gosh, I love the gospel. This just blows my mind. Oh my goodness, it really does. Like I can't, I can't even express to you how good news this is. Like it's crazy. God does not count men's sins against them. Like when he looks at me, when he looks at you, and the way I'm to look at the world is that there's no more scorekeeping. Let's pray together and just ask, um, is this, I hope this helps somebody this morning. I'm not looking for a response there, but if you need prayer specifically for the area of sexual immorality which leads to death. Don't get me wrong. It's bad. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help yourself. doesn't help your future marriage. doesn't help your kids. Doesn't help, it doesn't help society. doesn't help human flourishing. doesn't help anything. If you're in that situation today, we want to pray for you that the grace of God comes and restores you. Now, some of us um, have carried shame from sexual experiences since we've been kids people have done things to us that we had nothing to do with. There's forgiveness, there's healing for those sorts of things and we believe that God can, come on, how many people believe that God can bring healing? Amen. And we want to be able to pray with you. We're not going to call you out publicly or anything like that, but please feel free to, uh, you know, grab Pastor Jesse and Ashley or myself. Happy to pray with you for that. Let's ask the Lord to come right now. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we come celebrating good news of of a new life in Christ, a new kingdom that we're now a part of. And I pray that this news that you've counted the world redeemed in your Son, I pray that that news would create within us a heart that pursues righteousness. We truly are no longer slaves to sin, and we offer ourselves to you. We ask that we would become more like you, fruit that leads to sanctification. Thank you that we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace, and we joyfully receive news that we have nothing to do with, but we respond accordingly in worship today. Christ's beautiful name we pray. Let's sing together as we close.